Call 800-729-SAVE. That's 800-729-SAVE. Or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. Only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Good evening to you. This is episode number four, I guess you'd say. Mike Thompson, when you think of the number four in Indianapolis 500 lore, really to me, one of two things jumps out. What's the first thing you think of when you think of four? There are a lot of areas where you could incorporate the number four. I think right now that since this is going to be our fourth show, we're qualified at the end of tonight's show, correct? That's right. Four good laps, right? Yeah, we did four. <laughs> Give us four good go. ones. Four turns. Four, four identical turns. turns that every driver will tell you is yeah. different. Four. Right? We have three four-time winners. That's the big one to me. Yeah. And it's interesting because the number four for that reason, pardon the pun there, is it's such a big number out there. And it seems weird to think like if anybody was going to be a five-time winner, which in, in, inevitably someday someone will become. But doesn't it kind of feel like that that sacred trinity of the four? You know what I mean? Oh, the yeah. four guys, right? Absolutely. Now – if you had to say, by the way, my name is Jake Quarry. That is the voice of Mike Thompson. This is Beyond the Bricks here on 1075thefan.com. I appreciate but, you jo- tuning in. But before we get into the rest of the four conversation, I want to ask one question. Can we put a moratorium on any more good weather commentary from you? Because last night you, oh, you gave such a great good weather, great May weather commentary. And I remember when I left tonight in Hendricks County, it was 45 and porn. brutal, isn't it? You know what's so funny is I thought about that. The number of times, this is what I've always said about IMS. It's the greatest place in the world except for on days like today where it becomes the most depressing place ever, man. <laughs> I left the house and I'm like sitting there, didn't Jake just say how I great know. the May weather is? Well, here's the thing. We've got, we've got another week oh, yeah. to get this out of the system. Yeah, I hope so, man, because this pattern is no fun. And, and I, then if everything's like yesterday, it'd be great. Does, is there anything more depressing, by the way, than when it gets to like 79 or 80 in like mid-April or, or and then all of a sudden it's like 50 for like two weeks in a row? Well, technically, yes, in January when oh, it's yeah. 20 well, below I, and you know that there's no – but yes, yeah, I hear I'm talking you. about once it's gotten to a point where you get to 75, 79, 80, and it's nice, and you're thinking, okay, good, it's going to finally the pattern sw- switch. But If you had to guess, Mike Thompson, who will be the next four-time winner? See, I would have said, you know, before um, uh, I would have said before his accident ended, you know, ended his career. Unfortunately, I would have said Dario would have been a four-time winner. I re- really, truly I believe think that's that. A fair statement. I yep. really believed he would have won his fourth. And it's kind of amazing Scott Dixon's not in a multi. Right, and and then I was just about to say, and the fact that Scott Dixon isn't in the conversation right now Correct. is shocking because he could be the all-time laps leader by the end of this year. Correct. So that to me is shocking. Um, I'm not as optimistic as you. There's going to be a five-time winner on the horizon. Well, I just mean, I mean, I, at I'm just some thinking, point there, there right? could be. Although but just, you know what, we say that. I mean, it, yeah, been 104 of them. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm just, I'm just not. You know, just so. I, I would think it's so hard to win now, and and you know, I mean, again, like I just look at Scott Dixon. Look at a guy who's been so dominant. You know, led so many laps, and he's got one. Well, I think the thing. The reason that, to me, the Indy 500 is so unique 
is because there really are no fluke winners. And even when you have a winner that seems like a fluke winner, it doesn't take long to realize, no, they belong. No, right. Rossi comes to mind. No, exactly. Rossi is one that I would have thought of. And, I mean, he still has a very good chance. But he's not – I mean – you know, he could right now be like a three-time winner. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it goes to show not only is it difficult, but you've got to have flawless stops, but you also have to just avoid – luck has to be on your side at times. Well, that's, it's the it's the quote that is one of the best quotes about the Speedway that's ever been come up with. And Tony Kanaan, you know, when he says, the track will choose who's going to win. And yep. I, I sincerely, firmly believe that. Yep. Every year, the track will choose. Because look, Rossi's in the mix last year. He gets that goofy penalty that I still, I'm sorry, I'm, you know, IndyCar officials, plug your ears. I think that was a ridiculous penalty, to be honest with you. But the fact is that he gets this penalty at the wrong time. You know, I mean, something bad happened to Dario in, in 2012. You know, he gets spun out on, on pit lane by EJV. So early in the race, he's got plenty of time to come back, Correct. right? He's got the time to get back in it has the car, comes back, wins the race. You know, the situation with Rossi last year, wrong wrong situation, wrong time, you know, and then unfortunately for, for Alex, you know, he's, he's out of it basically. A lot to talk about tonight. Uh, continuing a theme from last night, and that is talking about one of the golden eras in American culture, the 50s. And last night we talked about, you know, certainly Bill Vukovic, obviously, and a lot about Troy Ruttman, the first half of the 50s. Tonight we will transition into, as I had just told Kevin Lee, featuring predominantly uh, Jimmy Bryan, among others. But before we do that, let's kind of go back to just before the dawning of the 50s, or the dawn, I should say. I don't think dawning's a word, but the dawn of the 50s, coming off of the war. And, Mike, I'd like to know, tell me about this audio that we're going to hear in terms of some play-by-play action that is, what, some 73 years old? It's 73 years old tonight. Really? Okay, this race happened 73 years ago that's why we delayed it because you said you know you didn't tell the people that you were delaying it for this reason but i'm always thinking you're always on on your game 73 years ago tonight the gold cup at gilmore stadium and this the race what happened is the race was uh recorded 73 years ago tonight and then it ran later on on the weekend now it ran on a on a very low power station called kwik in burbank california 250 watts okay the station was only around for four years two of those years they were fighting the fcc because the fcc tried to pull them off the air after two years because of repeated technical violations <laughs> and then they finally got them pulled off on may 15th 1951 after i mean they were barely on the air for four years um so what you'll hear is though as to my knowledge has never been heard on any other radio station since it appeared on kwik in burbank now what they did was they taped um, the commentary live of the of this race, and then they played it later and and presented it on the weekend of the Gold Cup uh, URA midget race, the Gold Cup. So this at is the Gilmore anniversary Stadium. of when the race was run. The or race the... was run. Okay. Now the race was run seventy three years ago tonight at Gilmore Stadium. Okay. So here we go. This is from uh, what is today? May the what? May the sixth. May sixth of nineteen forty eight. Here we go. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Norman Boardman speaking to you over KWIK and bringing you an on-the-spot description of the highlights of the 100-lap Gold Cup race direct from Gilmore Stadium. Tonight's races are sanctioned by the United Racing Association. Thursday night is race night at Gilmore Stadium. 
So next Thursday night and every Thursday night throughout the season, see action-filled races and top-flight drivers at America's premier midget auto racing speedway, Gilmore Stadium. Sixteen drivers are lined up facing starter Harry Seacrest in this traditional gold cup on this fast bank dirt quarter mile track. On the pole in car 161, we have Jim McMahon. On the outside in 98, Bill Taylor. In the second row, in car number 29, on the pole, Bob Ball. On the outside of the second row, in car number 45, Billy Vukovic. In the third row, in the blue number seven, Walt Faulkner. On the outside, in the white seven, Bill Burton. In the fourth row, on the pole, in car number 44, Ted Tracy. On the outside, in car number 10, Rod Sims. In the fifth row, on the pole, in car number 4, Bob Barker. On the outside, in car number 38, Eli Vukovic. In the sixth row, on the pole, in car number 21, Al Sherman. On the outside, in car number 2, Johnny Garrett. In the seventh row, on the pole, in car number 55, Billy Cantrell. On the outside, in car number 6, Wild Bill Zering. In the eighth row, on the pole, in car number 8, Norm Gertz. And on the outside, in car number 35, Roger Ward. Car number 45 is out. Car number 45, Billy Vukovic, is out. Here they come again. Going down the back stretch is the leader. Here comes the leader. 96 laps for Rod Sims. Here they come again. For the it's the blue flag this time for Rod Sims in car number 10. Blue flag for 29. And here comes your winner in car number 10, Rod Sims. In second place, Bill Taylor. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me a great deal of pleasure to have up here and to be able to present to you the winner of the Gilmore Gold Cup race, Rod Sims. Rod, would you say a few words to the fans? Thank you, Norman. It's wonderful being back racing at Gilmore after an absence of one year, and it was a real thrill to win the 100-lap Gold Cup race tonight. But due credit should be given to George Beavis in the wonderful way he keeps that car running. Little number 10. Thank you, Norman. Thanks a lot, Rod. I'm sure that all the race fans congratulate you on winning this traditional Gold Cup race. We have brought you a, an on-the-spot description of the highlights of the 100-lap Gold Cup race, direct from Gilmore Stadium, Los Angeles. This is Norman Boardman speaking. We return you to the main studios of KWIK. Norman, thank you. By the way, Gilmore Stadium in Los Angeles was demolished just a couple of years, uh, four years after that. They got upwards of 18,000 for racing that took place over a 17-year stretch, I believe it was, from 1933 to 50 when they hosted races. And I'll be honest with you, Mike, not to say anything at all about uh, the job that we do or, or, or don't do, I don't know, in calling the Indianapolis 500, but in listening to that, I do have a little more confidence in my play-by-play -play ability. I, I think what? I think Norman's got a future in this yeah. though. <laughs> I what if what if I just this year for the race just say, Here they come <laughs> and there they go. <laughs> I think you should do that. Two hundred times. And and we'll get Nick Yeoman to do that as That's well. That's right. Yeah, what do you think? That's right. So, Here they come. Okay, and there they go.
I like I like that plan. There were 12,000 people actually tonight at Gilmore Stadium okay. for the Gold Cup race. Now, do you know what is on the site of Gilmore Stadium today? CBS Television Studios. That's correct. CBS Television City, where, where they taped the greatest so game Bob show Barker of all. So Bob just went across the parking lot. I, I kid. It's a different Bob different Barker. Different Bob right? Barker, but yes, where they taped the greatest game yeah. show of all time, Match Game. Okay. And the third greatest game show of all time, The Joker's Wild. They should have just gotten Gene Rayburn to do some of the play-by-play, right? He actually, had his microphone with yeah, him. Yeah, with that right? long, super, 17-foot-long yeah, exactly. Richard microphone. Dawson, by the way, smoking heaters in turn three, Exactly, right? yeah. That's what's there today is CBS Television really? City is, is on the site of Gilmore Stadium. That's correct. Now, where did you well, find that audio? I Actually, it's, a, it's an interesting story. There was a gentleman who I met, and I bought some autographs from him, um, and he was – he. Uh, he was in very, very failing health at the time, and he also brought the audio reels with me. And he promised. He said, "He he said, you know, so I've got these great audio reels, and and they were unbelievable. They're on what's called paper tape, and I mean, it's a very, very primitive taping technology, but the sound quality is pretty good actually for, um, you know, the time. So." I bought the autographs, and he said, "You know what?" He goes, "You know what I want done is he goes, I want." At some point, he goes, I want these preserved. And he goes, I want somebody to be able to hear these again because they haven't been heard since 1948. And, and he gave me, you know, 20 reels of these. And one of the races, Roger Ward wins. And, I mean, you know, Vukovic is in several of these races. And he, he goes, I want I want to be able to, you know, have these played so people can hear them again. So There were two Vukovic's in that race, correct? Yeah. Right. Uh, Bill's uh, brother, Eli, is in that race as well. That's correct. And so he, Roger Ward had to have been relatively young. Assume, Roger, right? Yeah, and he started, like I say, he started last in this particular race. And then one of the other races I have from another track, he wins. And so, you know, he asked me, he said, you know what? He goes, I want these, you know, preserved. And, and I want at some point people to be able to hear them again. And I, you know, make sure that that happens. So I have to see if, you know, if I honestly lost touch with him. And I, I want to see if, you know, if he's, I hope he's still with us. Um, and if he is, I, I want to get him copies of these because I want him to be able to hear that, uh, you know, we did that. We made sure that these are all preserved and there are, you know, he's got the ability if he wants to, to be able to hear him, to hear him now. But it's amazing audio because it's such a, like you said, the play by play and the, and, and all the commentary and all the, the interviews are, it's such a different time, but um, you know, it's a really, it's an amazing slice of racing history because I know nothing like that has been been played. Now in, you said in that years. was KWIK, KWIK in Burbank, because that 250 is now, watts. Uh, KWIK is now, or at least most recently, was Pocatello, Idaho. Yeah. So, so I'm assuming that radio station is long gone. Oh no, right? it was like I say, they 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 had a license. And they had a license for only for, low, okay. for, for, a, for a station in Burbank, and and they got they ran afoul of the government almost immediately, as I understand it. I did a little research into the station, and I know that the listeners are probably wondering why we're, we we went into so much depth on a uh, a Burbank radio station, but they 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 basically got their license and then almost immediately ran afoul. I don't know if it's a situation where, as you know, people in radio will know, you can only you can only have the watts up at a certain level. Uh, you know, during the day, you can't go above 250 watts, or if you're a thousand watt station, that's it. You can only you can only put out your programming at a thousand watts. The way I understand it is they, you know, basically were breaking the rules almost every day. And the government, after about a year, said, "Hey, you know, you're, this is your first violation, your second violation." Right. And then they shut they they moved to shut them down immediately. 
and the station was able to successfully fight for about a year, and then and then basically they were shut down, and that was it. I now, mean, what's it interesting over. about that Gold Cup from 1948 is, is that kind of laid the foundation, I think, Mike, for, and I liken it a lot to folks that are listening to this that may not have fully grasped the Indianapolis 500 in, say, the 50s. As we talked about last night, you not only had the the love affair with the automobile, but automobile racing became, you know, starting all the way back in, say, the 1910s. But by the time you come out of the war, it became such a passion for people that it's like the NCAA tournament of today where if you have someone, for example, you are a fan of Ohio State. So there are a lot of people, I don't know if you're one, but if you're an Ohio State fan or an Indiana fan or a Michigan State fan, whatever it may be, if your team is eliminated from or does not make the NCAA tournament and you're watching a game of relative no rooting interest in the tournament, you would say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and root for Michigan State tonight because they're Big Ten and I'm a Big Ten guy. They're my conference, etc. Or in the state of Indiana, as we know, hey, I'm going to root for Indiana State because they got in the tournament and they're an Indiana school or Butler or Indiana, Notre Dame, whatever it might be. In those days, folks and fans would go out and watch dirt races and midget races and things like that under the lights, and they would get to know their favorite local or regional driver, and lo and behold, if that driver made it to Indianapolis, they are representing me. Right. right? And so many of those guys that we heard in this particular clip made it to the 500, Bobby Ball. Uh, this particular race, Walt Faulkner was in the race. He actually has – we didn't hear it because I, I cut this down way down, obviously, but he had a bad accident in this race, was injured in the race. Walt Faulkner was in this race. Um, yeah, we mentioned Vukovic. We mentioned Roger Ward. Another guy who ran URA, I actually have a couple of his trophies, is a guy we're going to talk about later in this show tonight, Jimmy Bryant. Jimmy Bryant ran URA. Um, he's not in this particular race, but he ran a lot of URA races. So, uh, you know, I mean, it was a proving ground, and you're right. You know, you were proud when your guy, you know, Bobby Ball made it, you know, he made it sure. big, you know. And maybe he didn't win the Indianapolis 500, but, hey, he was in it, and you had a rooting interest at that point. Now, one other thing I wanted to point out, because it is of interest. Last night we heard from Sid Collins, and we heard Sid Collins answering letters that were sent in, and – Somebody asked about a driver, whether or not they were going to return to Indianapolis, and Sid Collins said, well, no, unfortunately he will not only not be racing this year, but ever again because uh, he passed away and kind of went on to the next thing. But we heard in that clip in 1948 of the racer Bob Barker, not the television personality, but it turns out in a tragic way, twist of fate, that the driver in which Sid Collins referenced last night on this program and Bob Barker, the driver in that race, actually, unfortunately, their fates aligned in a very tragic manner, correct? They were both uh, killed in the plane crash that was referenced by Sid last night. They were best friends. Mac Hellings and Bob Barker were best friends, and they were traveling together to an, a race when they went down on, uh, tragically in the plane crash. And they uh, they were, uh, as I understand it, they were inseparable. They were best, just best friends, best buddies. And uh, Bob Barker was a big name. You know, you know, what you have to remember about this is, you know, again, regionally, right? Rod Sims was a big, the guy who won tonight. We, you, you know, you may not know Rod Sims, but he was a big name in the URA at that time, you know, and, 
and Bob Barker was a big name out at about at Orange Show Stadium and some of these tracks out there. So um, you know, I mean, it was a it was a big shock to people when that happened. You know, Matt Callings had driven in the 500. Bob Barker unfortunately never had that opportunity. But Bob Barker was a big name to midget racing fans out there on the West Coast. Now we're going to talk about one of the drivers who, in fact, did make it to Indianapolis and then became a fan favorite, not just locally or regionally, but really nationally in the hearts of race fans because he was kind of the Tony Kanaan of his era. He knocked on the door, knocked on the door, knocked on the door, and finally kicked it through. And in doing so, he captivated a young race fan overseas as well in England who will join us next. Donald Davidson will join us to talk about the man he describes as his racing hero. That's next on Beyond the Bricks. The Indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities, essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry, value on display every day. I'm Jeff Wheeler, business manager of the International Brotherhood of Electric Workers, Local 481. Our highly trained members include electricians, communication technicians, manufacturing, sign, motor, racing, and casino workers. Our members are skilled on principle and union by choice. the American dream, but today's economy is challenging. Have you fallen behind on your mortgage payments? Many homeowners facing financial difficulty often feel lost and don't know where to turn for help. The airwaves are filled with offers of fast and simple relief. However, many find these offers often lead to damaged credit, higher debt, and ultimately the loss of one's home. If it seems like there's no way out, know there is legitimate help available. The National Foundation for Credit Counseling is a nonprofit organization that has provided answers and concrete solutions to consumers in situations just like yours for more than 60 years. Our certified housing specialists will work with you to review your finances and create a custom plan that's right for your specific situation. NFCC member agencies provide free and affordable help and meet U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development standards. Call 866-687-6322 or visit mortgagehelpnow.org. Back here at the MS Communication Headquarters, Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson, Brad Huber on the big board. This is Beyond the Bricks. And joining us now, he is the historian emeritus of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He needs no introduction when it comes to the radio waves of talking about the Indianapolis 500, but Donald Davidson... I would assume over the course of the years, and I don't want to speak out of school here, but you have told me that Sam Hanks was one of your racing heroes. Now, does that mean that when you came to Indianapolis, he was your guy and that was the driver that you were most interested in seeing, or is he one of simply many from that era that you look at in such a favorable light? We'll check in with Donald in just a second. Mike, I promise you. Donald Davidson has told me that about Sam Hanks. He has told me the same thing. And, in fact, Donald has told me that his favorite car is the Blonde Special. Now, 
13 starts before he finally won. That's why I said he's kind of like Tony Kanaan, right? Oh, the yeah, fact that, and so popular, such a popular right. victory. And so, I mean, if you listen, we have a clip, in fact, uh, of, of him winning. And Sid, you can hear it in Sid's voice. You know, Sid is so happy that his friend Sam Hanks won the race. I mean, you could just you can just hear the joy in Sid's Sid's voice when he's calling him across the line. Um, you know, not to say that Sid wouldn't have been happy for someone else, but but listen to uh, if you listen to Sid's voice when when uh, you know he's crossing the, the finish line. You know, it's just an amazing it's an amazing amazing moment. Okay, so 1957. Sam Hanks, and a lot of people think, Mike, that Sam Hanks retired immediately, like got out of the car and said, that's it, I'm never getting in a car again. That wasn't necessarily the case. Uh, he did have a few races left, but he retired in terms of running at the Indianapolis yeah, he 500. Ran, he ran stock cars. Uh, you know, he ran in some other forms. Uh, but, yeah, he was done at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway after, you know, the, the victory in 1957. That's correct. I want to hear – let's see if we can get Brad Huber here. Brad, let's hear from the 1957 radio call of Sid Collins and the IMS Radio Network calling Sam Hanks' win in 1957 at the Indianapolis 500. Collins said, it's just a shame we can't have two winners today, either that big nine or that 26. Here he is, number nine. He just passed us here in the northwest turn. He's on the brakes for the last time today. Of course, he'll take a couple of swings. And now, here's our chief announcer, Sid. You can see him, can't you? Well, it's certainly a great thrill to see Sammy Hanks take the checkered flag, and there he is, the winner of the 500. What a great champion he's going to be. And here he comes around the southwest turn again for his extra lap, Sam Hanks, winning the race by approximately 20 seconds, the same amount of time he was behind the leader last year, Pat Flaherty, at the very same stage. And I don't believe sincerely we could have had a greater thrill in sport than to see a boy who's the oldest veteran here, Sammy Hanks, in his 12th 500, receiving the checkered flag. And just now, Jim Rathman gets the checkered flag, a tremendous task by Jim Rathman from 32nd position to second. We're on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Network, and we're trying to move in. We are moving in, and Sam is getting his face wiped off right now. And Sam Hanks, congratulations, boy. Hi, Charlie. Well, we finally did it. It took us a long time. You know, Sam, I believe you're crying. Yeah, I think so, too. Again, Sam Hanks, you could kind of tell there you're right. It's not our job to root for drivers, but you could tell they were thrilled for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could tell Sid was really, really happy to see Sam Hanks, who had tried so many times, had come so close the year before to winning the race, you know, finally break through and get that victory. And, you know, for Sam Hanks, um, the first time I ever got Sam Hanks' autograph when I wrote him, he wrote on the back of the picture, joy at the finish, um, because it was a picture of him, you know, basically coming in tears into victory lane with his, you know, hands up off the wheel. And, and you, you know, you, you could see how much it meant to him. You know, it, it, that, was, that was the goal. The goal was to win the Indianapolis 500. That was, you know, I, I want to I climb that mountain. Um, it was the same for, I mean, much later, uh, you know, I, I happened to know Doug, Doug Shearson really well. And Doug Shearson was, you know, Ari Leyendijk's car owner. And when he, I mean, he really wanted to win the Indianapolis 500 as a car owner. When he won the race, he told me basically a couple of weeks afterwards, he got the, the baby board. He had it sitting on his desk at, at his office. And he told me, he said, I'm out. And I said, I said, really? I said, you're out? What do you mean you're out? He's like, no, he's like, I'm out. I did what I wanted to do. I wanted to win the Indianapolis 500. And he was out at the end of the year. Now, Sam Hanks uh, passed away in 1994. You had mentioned that you got an autograph from him. And we'll try to get folks, Donald Davidson, on here uh, in a minute if we can. But 
did you get a chance to ever meet Sam Hanks? I never met him in person. I have met uh, his widow, Alice, who is just a delight, an right. absolute delight. Um, she's she's just, if you ever get a chance to have five minutes with her, please, you know, take the, the time to meet her. And, and, you know, she's she's just an amazing, amazing lady. Unfortunately, no, I never had the opportunity to meet Sam Hanks in person. So how many races did he run after Indianapolis? Do you know? He ran a few stock car races that I'm aware of, but right. he, but but that was I mean he didn't again like I say he didn't run Indianapolis or or uh, you know he wasn't involved in he you know he was don't forget he was uh, he was named to a position um, you know fairly quickly afterwards he was director of racing you know and director of competition rather um, at the track and so he became um, you know what Sid said you know he'll what a great champion he'll be right. well he wasn't you know he wasn't racing as a champion anymore at the speedway but you know he was. He was this director of competition, so he drove the pace car, and you know, I mean, he was doing other things, and he was really widely well respected, um, you know, m individual at the track. But you could see, really, if you look at the video or the photos or when he gets out, uh, Mike, I've been around. Well, I should rephrase that. I have not been in Victory Lane actually for an Indianapolis 500. Uh, I have covered some 20 plus races and i've been fortunate enough to be on the call for 14 of them but never in victory lane but of course you always see it right and you see a number of different emotions and the pure and raw joy of winning the indianapolis 500 but i think the reason why i compare him a lot to tony Kanaan is because if you look at tony Kanaan when he won the indianapolis 500 when he got out and he's in that hydroxy cut fire suit and he gets out of the car and he put his arms up in this expression like two fists straight up in the air and he looked like a, a cat that is stretching first thing in the morning but it literally looked like years of almosts coming out of him and years of anticipation and toil and effort and because what is it chasing it because right? what does it have to feel like to come so close to something no you want and be there and and have all these opportunities and then and then have it snatched away for a variety in Tony's in Tony's case for a variety of different reasons right it happened to him what does that have to feel like and then to get that opportunity i mean think of Sam Hanks his last two races that he ever raced in in what we call indie cars championship cars i mean he finished second in the Indianapolis 500 he finished first in the Indianapolis 500 that's it right so when you climb that mountain right and you release, and, and you, and like you said, you put your arms up, and and you, you know, joy at the finish. Like well, I said. that's what he, you know, in Sam Hanks's case, it looked like almost a combination of that joy and like an exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, because again, like I say, when you finally have climbed that mountain, um, you know, think about. But like I say, in, in Sam Hanks's case, I mean, he only drove, I think, forty-two or forty-three championship races. I mean, Tony Kanaan. You know, right. he's driven so many races. And, you you know, in Kanan's case, you think, okay, well, there's always next year. There's always next year. And, you know, but but Tony told me one time in an interview, um, you know, I, I wondered at one point is, you know, has I, have I had my chances? You know, is, is that now gone by? And, right. and there's that day is never going to come. And, and that's when he said that famous, the track will choose who's going to win. And it was that was his day finally, right? The track chose me today. And he told me, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done, he told me, and I was working here for WIBC at the time, he said, that night I went back up in the stands for a couple minutes, came back out, and he said, I just said thank you. 
you know, I said thank you to the track for choosing me. Thank you for choosing me after all these times where you, basically you didn't choose me. Today right. you chose me. And it was really emotional. I mean, you could see, you know, you, you know him way better than I do, uh, Tony, better than I do. But you could see there, I mean, there was, no, there was nothing phony about those, those statements he was making. I mean, he truly felt blessed to be chosen. He truly felt honored to be chosen by the track. And it meant so much to Tony Kanaan. And I can only feel like, you know, Sam Hanks felt the same way. Like, I've, I've reached that mountain now, and, and that's it. And, and, you know, yeah, again, like I say, he drove some stock car races afterwards, but it's like that, 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 was, that was all he needed to do. You know, Will Power, several years before he won the 500, Will Power, and I think this happens with a lot of drivers. Dario Franchitti absolutely comes to mind. I remember when Dario Franchitti won the race in 2007, and he told Kevin Lee, and I can still hear his accent when he said it, he paused amidst the interview in Victory Circle and said, I understand now. I remember that so vividly. I understand now. You know, the moment I think Dario, it really hit him. Yes, it hit him there, but it really hit him the next day because there's a there's two pictures I think that really define for me what it is to be an Indianapolis 500 winner. One is Dario looking at the Borgwarner Trophy the next day and seeing Jim Clark's face on it. Yeah, because he's such. I mean, he and I we've bonded years ago over our love of Jim Clark, and when Dario saw and really, really grasped, I think, the fact that his face was going to go on the same trophy Jim Clark's face is already on. There's a there's a picture that I – and I don't know if Ron McQueenie took it or if Jim Haynes took it or which one of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway photographers took that particular shot. But to me, that's one of the defining pictures for me because you could see it in Dario's eyes and his face, and he's got his hands sort of almost covering his mouth like, wait a minute, I'm going to be on this trophy, and Jim Clark's already there. And it was just it's, – it's such a powerful moving image – and the other one for me is is Alexander Rossi, where he's got that look on his face like what just happened. Oh, you he know? said on the and radio. Where he's, he's guys, what just happened? He's, he's in he's in victory lane, and there's just this look of, of bewilderment on his face, like what just happened. And you know, I'm really I you know, I know Alex a little bit. I I, I don't claim to be like one of his best friends or anything like that. I, I know him a little bit, and I think the world of Alexander Rossi, and I really do hope he wins another one so he can truly celebrate and, and know what it's like now. But I love that picture because it's just this bewilderment like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what happened to me just now? You know, you know it's um, with Rossi and talking to Rossi, and I've talked to Rossi in interviews before about this, and I think this happens to a lot of drivers. Mike, let me ask you this. Have you ever been skydiving? Uh, no. No, okay. I, 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 for me to even go on a plane is a very difficult situation. <laughs> so I, I've been skydiving twice. Once because for my 40th birthday, I was asked by my girlfriend what I wanted to do, and I said, I don't know, go skydiving, and then she bought it, and I thought, oh, my gosh, she took me seriously, and now I have now to Now I this. have to do this. <laughs> and so I did it, and then um, it was over, and I thought, well, do I need to do it one more time just to now – have the presence of mind to absorb what's happening. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I did. I was fortunate enough to do it into the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which is one of the great thrills of my life. But, and that's it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm Sam Hanks, right? I'm done. But having said that, I think that Rossi and a lot of drivers, after they win it the first time, then they are so driven to win it a second time because now they want to be able to experience it knowing what they're experiencing. Exactly. And you like know? I say, that's, that's the picture for me. It's that picture of Alexander looking like, 
you know, he's got these his eyes wide open like, whoa, what just happened to me? And you know, I mean, I know we all have kind of cliche questions. I mean, Luke Walton, it's funny when we listen to some of Luke Walton's questions. I know we're going to hear one sometime during the month where he always says, are you coming back next year? He asked that question of every single right. driver. And, and one of my cliche questions is, you know, how, how did winning the 500 change your life? Because I'm, I want to know that. Like, how did it – I was the one, that, you know, we played that sound like the other night with Bobby Unser, and I had, I, I had asked him that. Like, when you won the first time, how did it change your life? You know, because you go from, you know, you're, you're an Indianapolis 500 driver the day before that, and that's, that's great. That's, a, that's something really cool you can hang your hat on, and not that many people can say that. But then when you change that, that title in your, in, your, in your bio to Indianapolis 500 winner – that's a big difference. You, you know, know uh, what I was going to say is power, from, and I don't know if I, if I finish this point because I got sidetracked, power from when he first came here, power first ran for KB Racing, right? Right. And he, he was solid as a rookie, but I think he really absorbed and grasped and saw everything that went into the Indianapolis 500, and it was at that time then that Will Power, years before, he won it for Roger Penske, framed a picture of the Borg Warner Trophy, which he put on his nightstand next to his bed, and he saw it every single night. And that is not unusual, Mike. That is not unusual. No, because it's a goal, and you say, you know, I'm not going to stop until I achieve this goal. And, you know, I, I can see that. I mean, that you know, it, it's just that we were talking earlier how difficult it really is to win this thing, right? You know, and, and every break – you know, needs to fall your way. I mean, very rarely do we see, you know, the, you know, the, the Juan Montoya stomping the field in 2000 type race or, you right. know, things like that. And we don't, we don't see that that often, you know, it's, you know, things have to fall. Everything has to fall your way. I mean, you know, I mean, a good example of, of what I'm talking about is, is Al Unser in 1987, an amazing story, but he could have been taken out on the first lap in an accident. There was an accident right there, and he could have been caught up in it and, and almost was, made it through, and ends up winning the race through a variety of circumstances. But his race could have been over in, in turn one of lap well, one, basically. and let's be real. In 1987, probably, you know, I can't say the best – the best car may have been Mario Andretti or, or the best chance to win, but also, um, you know, Roberto Guerrero. I mean, Roberto Guerrero was so dominant all day – and it comes down to lap 182, I believe it was. And lo and behold, what happens? But early in the race, a tire comes off of Bettenhausen's car and ricochets off the front nose, as opposed to the rear nose, I guess. But ricochets off the nose of Guerrero's car. And Guerrero has said, when, the, when he had the issue late in the race and the gearbox finally had enough, gosh darn it, Mike, it had run how many laps loose and then finally it had enough. Right. And it all went back to the beginning, you know, the beginning of the race. You know? Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, you think about the fact that every certain thing has to fall your way, right? I mean, you, you have to have everything work out. And and very rarely, as I say, did, you know, how many times have we gone into a race just saying that there's a car that's bulletproof that unless, unless it breaks? I mean, the only one I can immediately think of is 1980 Johnny Rutherford. That that car, unless it broke, it was going to win the race. There you was know, no there was no scenario to me that somebody was going to beat Johnny Rutherford in that race on speed. He, you know, he if unless he got caught up in an accident or the car broke, that car was going to win the race. Okay, if that one comes to mind. 
we had early in this program a tire that hit the nose of the studio, and Brad Huber went out and got himself A.J. Foyt and a bunch of wrenches and apparently has it fixed. And so as a result of that, when we come back in two minutes, we're going to hear from Donald Davidson, who will catch up with us on Sam Hanks. little Jimmy Bryan talk as well. It's Beyond the Bricks. The Indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities. Essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. This is John Whitaker business manager of Ironworkers Local 22. Our over 1,300 members are in good pay and benefits working with rebar, structural steel, and ornamental metals for bridges, commercial buildings, and more. Find apprenticeship details on how we're building Indiana's infrastructure at ironworkers22.net. Ironworkers Local 22, skilled on principle, union by choice. Hi, I'm Ryan Kelly with HeroLoan.com. VA interest rates can be up to a full point lower than conventional loans, saving you hundreds of dollars a month. You can buy a house with no money down, and there's almost never a loan limit on VA loans. VA rates are in the twos, and we're saving our clients hundreds, even thousands of dollars a month. Get the service that you deserve and apply online today at HeroLoan.com. That's HeroLoan.com, the only way to VA. The Home Loan Expert LLC, NMLS number 1326241. The Indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running. We all look forward to getting back on track. For over 100 years, our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained Indiana's hospitals, highways, bridges, schools, and utilities, essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions. And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. The Indiana Union Construction Industry, value on display every day. Hi, I'm Jason Smith of the Heat and Frost Insulators Local 18. Installing, repairing, or retrofitting insulation on your mechanical system saves money, and no one does it better than us. If you need a contractor, we're on the web at insulators18.org. Skilled on principle, union by choice. Now, sing along here, Mike. Jimmy Bryan was his name. The Ballad of Jimmy Bryan, the winner of the 1958 Indianapolis 500. Jake Quay along with Mike Thompson, Brad Huber here as well, and we do go to the phone lines now. Waiting patiently, and we'll see if this works. I have never been, Donald Davidson, a tech guru, but we'll see if whether or not the button I just pushed actually brings you to the program. (laughs) Your patience is to be commended, Donald. We hear you loud and clear. Oh, very good. Okay, well, I we had some. I was uh, delayed in the pits here, and I lost twenty laps. So. <laughs> That's right. Hey, we. I, I wanted to bring you on because, um, well, first off, you're always welcome on the program. But I know 
and I was asking you this earlier, you had told me that Sam Hanks was one of your racing heroes, and I yep. assume you had many. Was he the first? Was he the driver that you first followed when you became aware of the Indy 500? Oh, um, I don't know. Um, I, I, uh, he was the first person who won after I was interested. So I knew who he was because he finished second the year before. But then uh, there was uh, it was just such a wonderful story, and the more I got to know about it, I thought it was just probably my favorite story, probably my favorite story in uh, all of Indianapolis history about how George Sally and Howard Gilbert built that car, uh, not in a massive factory with with a uh, hundred employees, but two fellows building a car in the garage next to one of them, George Sally after they'd finished a day's work. And just the very fact that, uh, you know, Sam had uh, actually um, had decided to retire, thought he was going to retire after the 56 race because when he was involved in an accident in the early stages and then uh, was able to catch up and then he finished second by 20 seconds. And after he'd been third twice and now he was second and Pat Flaherty, who won the race, broke a throttle linkage going across the uh, as he was taken to checker. And Sam just figured, you know what, I I think I've just, I'm not going to be able to win this thing. I've got second now and I've come close. And uh, so I think that's probably going to be it. And then during the uh, summer sometime, uh, or in, into the fall probably, uh, George Sally, uh, who had been his chief mechanic, uh, when he finished second in 56, in, in, uh, in fact, he drove for Sally in, in 55 and 56, or at least drove a car that, for which Sally was the, was the chief mechanic. And Sally was a plant foreman at Myron Drake, maker of the Offy engines, and he would go home at night and, and build this car in his garage. So anyway, um, and George told me, he said, I had fun with him. He said, we invited him over for, for dinner. He and... and uh, Alice came over, and then he said, "Well, let me, you know, show you what we're what we're doing." And he said, "We went out into the garage, and Sam was looking at the thing and looking at it and bending down, and 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 you could just see, you know, the 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 there's facial expressions. He's really interested in this, and he said, "Boy, it's, it's something like you know, you've really got something here, Dad." They called each other Dad, and uh, so George said, "I started to needle him," and he said, "Well." He said, the only thing is, I, I don't know um, uh, who I'm going to get to drive. And, and, and Sam said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't know. He said, I was thinking of maybe um, uh, Parsons or, or um, Tony, meaning Tony Bettenhausen. And and Sam said, well, but what about me? And, and so George said, well, you, Dad, I thought you retired. And, and Sam said, no. I said I th- I was thinking of retiring, and so he basically said, "No, you know, old Sam's going to drive this uh, blankety blankety blank." And so they came back, and and uh, it's this wonderful story about how George uh, went into debt to finish up the car. He he didn't want to be a car owner. He wanted to just to have people come over, look at it, and maybe buy it, and nobody would. And uh, Sandy Belland, uh said, look, I don't want to be, I, I like this concept, but I'm getting ready to sell the, the uh, my company 
And uh, but so he said, I don't want to be a car owner, but I'll I'll sponsor you. And so um, they uh, they ended up. That's how it became the uh, the Blondics or special. And they came back and there's they they qualified and and uh, car owners potential car owners were coming in and looking at the car. Bob Wilkie was one. Peter Schmidt was another. And uh, it, it just uh, came down. They, they qualified, and it's the night before the race. It's still no buyer. So George goes ahead as a reluctant car owner, and they've got the Paul Russo with the Novi. And, and uh, golly, I could just do a, a lengthy bit on this, but the end result is that the Novi fell back a little bit, had, ended up at a crack frame, and Sam with this little light car with the engine tipped over almost, it was like 18 degrees from the horizontal, and uh, they go ahead and win. And uh, Sam uh, was so emotional, and when you see him come down after he had won the race, he came down the pit lane, which was brand new that year, and it was just like when Dale Earnhardt won the Daytona 500. And as uh, as um, uh, the, all of the other teams were coming out, because Sam was really popular with the uh, with the teams and, and the others, and, and so the teams were actually coming out and uh, saluting him as he went by down to, to um, uh, Victory Lane, which was uh, still down at the south end, and, and Charlie Brockman said, Sam... I believe you're crying. And uh, Sam said, yeah, I am, Charlie, and, and I think you are too, which he was. Do you believe, Donald, that he would have, let's just say for, I mean, would have could have here, but um, had Sam Hanks not won that race, let's say run up front but not won, come close, mm-hmm. would he still have retired? Uh, that's a good question because um, obviously we don't know that. But uh, and then he did announce that you know I think he said to Charlie you know that's it or something like that, and but he was uh, he was under contract to drive um, as you mentioned stock cars. I mean he did very very well. He did Bill Strop Mercury and uh, he he finished second of well I'd be third in the championship. He almost was second. I think he won he won three races. I think maybe four, but uh, then when he stopped and then uh, it wins the next year with Jimmy Bryan so I'm kind of getting ahead of the story there and uh, he did tell me he said you know what I often thought about the fact that if I had hung on another year I could have been a two-time winner because you know Jimmy Bryan won with the car that that I gave up he said I I could have been a two-time winner but he was happy with the one and and very frugal. Sam was was very business minded and and very uh, just very very good with investments and so on and so forth. So I think that he, you know, he was happy to go ahead with endorsements and so on and so forth. Donald, there have been so many popular drivers. Donald Davidson, of course, joining us here on Beyond the Bricks. So many popular drivers over the years, but would it be a challenge to come up with? a back-to-back scenario with greater ambassadors of their era for the sport in terms of their likability to fans than yeah. Sam Hanks and then the next year, Jimmy Bryan? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, yes, very, very good question because they were just both superheroes. And, uh, you know, Bryan was already gone by the time I showed up. But there, there was a wonderful film 
made about the 57500. Now, I was already hooked. I mean, it was not the film that got me, you know, got me interested. But there was a film called The 500 Mile Adventure, a dynamic film, just outstanding, just super, you know, the music and the superb commentary. And uh, it, it was kind of like a little bit of history lesson because it starts with George Sally, you know, and then bringing the... Uh, the, the the blonde car out into the the pit lane, and then it says something like you know the, five years ago or six years ago what it was George Sally well it goes back to Lee Wallard winning with the dirt car um, in '51 another one of my you know favorite uh, pieces of footage is Lee Wallard coming down after he won the race and then it shows the Cummins Diesel and it shows Vukovic it's like a little history lesson. And then it ends up, you know, with with the uh, the race. So it's it's probably, uh, well, not probably. I would say it's it is my favorite documentary that was ever made about the race. It's just a superb job with a lot of a lot of history in it. And um, so, um, uh, but but then, you know, then to come over and meet Sam Hanks. Uh, he, he, you know, he, he, I, do, I wouldn't say that he was was my number one hero, but he was sort of right in the, you know, right in the, the, at the very, very top of the list. And uh, to meet him and what a wonderful man he was right from the time I, I, I met him instantly. I just, you know, it, it because, you know, I've, we've talked about and with people in other sports and, and sometimes you, you meet your hero and, and it's a disappointment. Well, not not here, <laughs> not with the people that I met. And just Sam Hanks was just wonderful. And uh, over the years, I, you know, I, I visited him at his house several times. And, and Alice is just what a lady she is, what a wonderful lady. And uh, just it was one of the big thrills of my life was to meet Sam Hanks and have him be such a just a, a, a wonderful man and a wonderful ambassador for, for the sport. I'd like to know, and otherwise I'm going to stare at the ceiling tonight at 3.30 in the morning, and there are a lot of things, Donald, that keep me awake <laughs> at night, but one of them that I will now forever ponder is how it came to be on this program that Donald Davidson of England says commentary and Mike Thompson of Ohio says commentary. How is that possible? Donald says it the correct way, Mike. It's commentary. I hang around Donald a lot, and, he, and I say commentary. And but I again, I have a lot of Canadian family, and I, you know, I spend a lot of time watching Montreal Canadiens games, so I, I pick up a lot of Canadian vernacular. Well, you're still. It's still great to have you part of the organization. That's right. right. I'm and I'm glad to be part of the process. Um, <laughs> Donald, lastly, here in literally just a couple of minutes, and I apologize for that, but in terms of the 50s in the Indy 500. Yeah. Was this the decade that really began the transition of from the cars being the stars to the drivers being as big as stars as the cars themselves? Um no, actually no, I've heard you make that comment a few times and and I would say that it happened before earlier that. than that, most, most certainly, uh, what you said is true. That in the very you know before World War One, it was the car. You know Ray Haroon, name dropping here, but Ray Haroon told me he said you know it was it was different back then. He said I worked for the company. 
He said, I, I didn't win the 500 in 1911. Marmon won the 1911 500. I was the, I was the driver, and it's rather like the jockeys with, with uh, you know, at the Kentucky Derby and so forth. But uh, anyway, so it was the automobiles. It was rather like at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. You know, today, uh, it's the make. You, you know, you're hard-pressed to, to name the drivers, but when you were at Indianapolis, it's the, the drivers of the stars. Well, when that began, and sorry for the long answer, but you, you know how it is now, uh, I'd say, by you know, in the 1920s, mid-late 20s is when the drivers became, uh, they started to become the stars. And, and so, so then, uh, retroactively, did those drivers who did not get to enjoy that in the beginning start to get it? Oh, um, I don't know, because, uh, uh, you know, a lot that, that there were a number of the people that, that drove the race had started out as, as test drivers. And, you know, Ray Haroon, he, t- he said, I never thought of myself as a race driver. He said, I was an engineer and I was in, the, you know, the research and development department. And he said, I, I enjoyed, dri- uh, you know, I like driving the cars because I wanted to see if what we thought would work was working. The best way to find out was, you know, I would drive it in the race and, and be looking to see if this was working or that was working and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, after then, the drivers became the stars. I think that's been all the way through, uh, except, you know, maybe the Novi was as well known as, as you know, that, that the Novi had a fan club. And then, you know, then the turbines a little bit later. But for the most part, I think at Indianapolis, it's been about the drivers. But then also, this is another thing that's changed. And, you know, forgive me for this one, but, you know, chief mechanics, you know, Cotton Henning and, and, and Lou Moore, and then later on, you know, Clint Brawner, George Bignotti, A.J. Watson, they were as well-known are some of the drivers. Now, you t- tell me who the chief mechanics are now. Now, Donald, I hate to do this to you. We yep. owe you two segments, of course, okay? Uh, which means basically we're going to have you on multiple times next week. Is All that right. fair? <laughs> I hate to do that to you, but unfortunately that's what happens when uh, in the beginning we had the issues and then now we're up against it. But I appreciate it, Donald. Have a great weekend. We're going to talk to you early next week. All right. Continue. Thanks, All right? everybody. Okay, Donald Davidson. Uh, for Mike Thompson, I'm Jake Quarry. I think we're out of time. Mike, uh, back tomorrow, right? talking yes music of the 500 we'll explain tomorrow you've been listening to beyond the bricks the indiana union construction industry remains focused on getting the job done and keeping our communities running we all look forward to getting back on track for over 100 years our contractors and skilled tradesmen and women built and maintained indiana's hospitals highways bridges schools and utilities essential infrastructure that keeps our state moving forward during all conditions And with safety as a top priority, we're ready for whatever it takes to rebuild our economy. We built Indiana's past, and we'll be there to build Indiana's future. Indiana Union Construction Industry. Value on display every day. I'm Trent Todd, business representative for Sheet Metal Workers Local 20. Our members and contractors have been the clean air and building enclosure specialists for over 100 years. We lead the industry in professionally installed energy-efficient HVAC systems, as well as properly installed architectural roofing and siding packages. From clean air to dry buildings, our team will exceed all your expectations. Skilled on principle, union by choice. Times, it's easy to lose sight of the importance of saving for the future. The National Foundation for Credit Counseling wants you to know there are simple steps to set aside dollars each month. 
The most important is reviewing all your monthly expenses and establishing a household budget. Need help getting started? Speak with a certified credit counselor who can help map out a plan for you. Call the NFCC at 800-388-2227. This has been a public service message from the NFCC. You know, many people my age who went to college, they'll do something great in the future. But I'm doing something great now. If you like seeing what you accomplish every day, why not make that your career instead of a desk job? I know a lot of people without any direction. Well, my direction is up while I help build this high rise. Your training is free. So you learn while you earn. My friends finished their degree in four years. That's about what it took for us to finish laying down about a dozen new roads. Careers as a union laborer are rewarding and ready now. As a member of Laborers Local 120, you'll earn good pay and benefits with lots of job choices. I do pipeline work. I'm a concrete finisher. I lay miles and miles of asphalt. This is Ward Daniels, business manager of Labor's Local 120. Joining us can lead to a satisfying career for you or someone you know. So join us. Join us. Join us. We are now accepting qualified apprentices and journeymen. Visit LionaBuildsIndiana.org to apply.